Punctum, a podcast exploring the creative practice of contemporary photographers and the bookmaking process. Coming to you from my Somerville, Massachusetts studio. I am Jay Sabella Smith, the creator and host of Got Punctum. Rich, I don't introduce you saying a lot of things about you that people would find if they went to your website or went to Freeline Press. Um, I basically want to introduce you with my own frame. Um, I sat with your book often, and interestingly, I mentioned to you just before we got on, another thing came out for me this morning on another time that I sifted through. And what I had figured out and kind of framed for myself is this book, in my words, is a poetic offering. And it is one of those books that you want to pick up again and again, because you will see new things. So I want to share a little bit about um, how A-line um, Alison Stein referenced Appalachia and your images that were in part of the essay in the book. So I'm going to do a little of that, and then we're just going to open up and talk. Um, what I wanted to also say in reference specifically to you before I quote um, Allison is that I think your work is a gift. And I think it's an expansion of your encounters and your experience. So I think we'll have a really interesting discussion because there's a parallel process here. There's a very personal component and there's a professional component. You had been a photojournalist. Now you're talking about the place you call home. So the way that I thought we could frame it is actually looking at place, people, and process. So we'll weave in and out of that. But here's what, um, in other writing, not in your essay, Allison wrote about small towns. And this is what she said, dreaming shop windows. What a beautiful metaphor and, and experience as if the shop windows were dreaming themselves. So dreaming shop windows, a place without events, without sensation. There are small towns everywhere in our country, everywhere where there seems to be hardly any hope where the roads lead into the countryside, out of here, away. Only those who remain can understand small towns. We were there, we looked around, we took our time, we see hope. And in your essay, in your book, in her essay, she describes Appalachia as this. Appalachia is a broken, wasted place, forgotten and rightfully so. It struggles with addiction, isolation, and poverty. Misrepresented as cards we drew on purpose that we somehow called down upon our lives by simply living. We asked for this. We deserve this. And I wanna just quote you in your piece in the epilogue. You wrote that your images ask implicitly, am I accepted in this community? Am I safe here? And you describe Appalachia as a place where they're draining the earth of its bounty and people of their power, where survival pushes past politics and where a heritage of hospitality, not hate, is an unspoken psalm. That's 
beautiful. And you brought me into such a deeper awareness of the place you call home. So I would love to open it up and, and ask you to fill in the pieces on your story. You lived in several countries over many years and you chose Appalachia and now you have reflected Appalachia in this book. So tell us your journey. Starting where? <laughs> well, <laughs> all right, I'll focus that to say in terms of why Appalachia or where you, if you could sum up the moving that you did and the, the, the search for belonging that was, I think, a part of, I think this, this personal professional has been woven yes. together and so highlights of that. So uh, I guess I would say the steps to Appalachia. We don't want to start day one and go through every year. We want to get the, the salient points that got sure. you to where you are. I mean, I think the, the biggest part, I, I, I work in Athens um, Township or at the Athens Town, but I live in mm -hmm. Millfield, which is a former coal mining boom town out, just outside of, it's probably a 10 minute drive outside of Athens, but it's a mm -hmm. um, Former coal mining boom town. The population today is probably about, I think it's about 340, somewhere around there. Um, and in fact, we live just a few minutes away from Ohio, where Ohio's largest coal mining disaster took place in Millfield. Um, I think it was 80 so people died on that particular day from an explosion in the mine. Um, but I ended up here basically, uh, I had been doing photojournalism full time for. 15 odd years or so. And our, my wife and I, our children were starting to get to an age where um, we wanted to kind of plant some roots for them. So they kind of start building you know, long-term friendships and mm -hmm. they want to continue uprooting them. Cause as a photojournalist, I was often moving, I think the longest I lived in anywhere was three years. And that's when I was based in Abu Dhabi. Um, but prior to that, I think we moved every two years max probably. Um, so yeah, from, so as we, you know, as our family grew up, my priorities changed, and um, and the industry, the photojournalism industry itself, was suffering quite heavily, and I think it still is today. So I felt like it was my wife and I felt like it was time to pivot and and kind of make not only career change for myself, but also um, a lifestyle change, and and that was inspired to you know be somewhere that was more a little more rural. Um, outdoors, ideally in the mountains, but foothills would work as well. So we started poking around and I'm, I'm actually an alum of Ohio University. So, and Ohio University is here based here in Athens. So I um, just out of, I randomly found a position here in communications and marketing and landed in Athens and actually stopped. When I got here, I stopped making images for about two years. I mean, I, I did work, I did work for you know, marketing type of work, photography, and I did some corporate work, and I would pick up some editorial work here and there. But I wasn't actively trying to do any type of photography for myself. And, and really, essentially, I just wanted a, a break from the grind, uh, moving from photojournalism lifestyle to working in you know, an eight to five job with weekends off. Really, you know, was very liberating for. For myself and for my family and I could be present more often in their lives and also we ended up buying some land out in the foothills so we started homesteading there so you know I kind of got really was interested in that and then I skateboard still to this day I've been skateboarding forever so 
really had an opportunity to actually enjoy going and riding with the new friends I'd found. And so that kind of what, that's essentially what brought me here was, you know, just a change of lifestyle, change of career, change of pace for my family and, uh, and just trying to uh, do a 180. <laughs> so it's so interesting. And I, I completely understand that that is a 180. Um, I want to move from the image of the cover of your book. Um, but before I do, I'm curious about exactly what we're looking at. If that sure. illustration, if you could just give us a bit of a background on that. Yeah. So when I first got, in, uh, as I, well, earlier on, in, earlier in the project, I was always collecting any, any type of objects or information, basically because part of the project was to get to know my community. And I, part of that is just my, my passion and, and interest in local history, regardless of where I'm living, it could be anywhere in, in the world. And, and I'm always typically trying to learn more about the history of, of the region or my community. Mm -hmm. So as I'm going through all these different books and, and research and papers, uh, you know, I was coming across a lot of um, historical maps. And this particular map was from, I believe it's, I could be wrong because it's been a while since I pulled it out, but I think it was from the 1800s. And it's taken, in, it's taken out of this, one of the former coal mining boom towns. It's a town called Corning. And they were one of the major rail, a rail um, depot for getting the, the coal you know, in and out of the region. So what you're looking at is the that that rail system, and then the the colored water essentially is symbolic in it to two 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 degrees. And this regards to working with the designer was is a, supposed to be interpretive of one is that because of the coal mining in the region, many all of the creeks are polluted with acid mine drainage. Some of those some of those creeks will be red or an orangish color, and others will be blue depending on what what type of minerals exhausted into the river. Mm. But the second, you know, kind of symbolic use of that is graphically the, the, the image kind of, you know, looks like an artery of, you know, maybe an art of the heart or something. So, so there's a play on, on the visuals there and that was the intent. And I'm thinking, especially with coal, also on lungs, frankly, yes. and bronchi yeah. and things like mm -hmm. that. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking I notice and take in things like that, uh, choices in your end paper, which I really liked your end paper choice. Yeah, um, I, don't, I don't have a visual of that, but I had quoted here, this is the slide we're looking at, the unspoken Psalm, because I mean, in a way it made me feel as if it were a prayer and I, put in here a quote, and this is a paraphrase, in the handiwork of their craft is their prayer. And when I was on an exploration, I went to a, it was a museum uh, that had a garden and they had a tablet and it had a quote that was biblical, but the piece that really spoke to me, and I've yet to find the exact biblical reference, is this idea of in the handiwork of their craft is their prayer. And I, that's, I found that quote 30 years ago, and it so resonates because of, I think that when you are talking to artists and they are following their passion, there is a spiritual aspect to it. There is this idea that you're using the camera in a way that is a prayer. 
I know when I talk about my work, I talk about the power of the photograph to change the individual because I think it does and can, and then it can also move us on a collective level. So it really resonated for me for you to hand us this unspoken psalm. And I love that Allison reflected that it is a gift and it is, and it's, and it's a looping gift, right? It's your observation looping in the people, the places, and then bringing it out to those of us who are not in that place or perhaps don't know people that live there. So I was thinking about place first, but maybe we can reverse what I was thinking and start with process. Like when one of the things that spoke to me and maybe you can talk to us about it mm -hmm. is I guess let's unpack the project because you were, you, you made the mention of taking photographs for yourself. So when you made your lifestyle change, you kind of put the camera away and didn't use it in the way that you had as a photojournalist, right. but it sounds like you were using it to find place. And I know that you ask those questions, am <laughs> I safe here? Is that the impetus? Is that what began the project? No, I mean, what I found, well, back up, like, as a photojournalist, quite often when you're working on a long form story, you know, you typically would have to have a clear, I would say, hypothesis of what it is you're trying to photograph, mm -hmm. what you're trying to define, you know, because you have to pitch that, that idea to news, the newsroom or to editors, and, and it has to be cohesive, not just from a visual perspective, but also from, from the written side is, you know, where's the, where's the story? So I had been in that practice for you know, many years, but having put the camera down for a couple of years, when I re-entered into like pursuing photography for you know, for, as a form of therapy and play, a couple of things I, I wanted to do. And one was I wanted to move away from the aesthetic that I was using as a photojournalist, but also I wanted to move away from having the, the to apply the, the theory and practice of what a photojournalist does, which I spoke about earlier. And in this sense, I wanted to be allow, allow myself to just go out and make images and with really no intention. Uh, no, the, this Black Diamonds was never, never, it wasn't like the first photo I took was like, okay, the, um, today I'm gonna start my book project or, or, um, or I'm, and it's gonna be about X, Y, and Z. Really, I just started seeing pictures again as I was driving around the communities and I, and um, that little, the fire that I think that we all share when we get excited about something we see that we want to frame and capture, they were just popping up everywhere. And I'm driving down the street, and like, oh, there's a photo, there's a photo. And mm -hmm. so when that, when that, you know, when that excitement came back to me, it still took a little while to kind of get back on the bike and start riding it again. But the flip side too, so that happened and also coincide with feeling a few things. One was feeling like, I missed the part and aspect I missed of being a photojournalist is, is that it had given me the opportunity to really discover any community that I, I lived and worked in. It kind of gave you a pass to knock on doors and um, reach out to people when there was something of interest that you wanted to explore more visually. Being away from that, not having those credentials, you, know, you, you have to kind of navigate the world in a different way. And then also just kind of coinciding with that, there, you know, there, there was a lot of changes happening in the news and a lot of things happening politically across across the U.S. and our country started to come started to become 
a lot more divided on many different levels. And, and maybe we've always been this way, but it just became more um, readily available and, and talked about. So one of those things were, you know, just the, the increased violence against people of color. And then um, the other was, you know, people were quite often, there's a lot of whispers and shouting about middle America and Appalachia to be more concise as being the fault to, you know, having a, a president in office that many people felt shouldn't be in that in that role. And of course his role, you know, Trump's role was that, you know, many felt that he was pushing, you know, race, racism and prejudice and in and, and that direction and and maybe to some degree stimulating the, the violence that was coming up through our communities and through our nation. So I wasn't certain like you know, how much of this is reality, how much of it is you know, based in fact, how many of these journalists that are writing, have they actually lived in this com these communities? So I felt like, you know, one, I wanted to get to know my neighbors. Two, I wanted to see if, as I wrote, you know, how would I be received and, and how would my neighbors um, interpret me as you know, being an outsider? I still am, but, you know, so I just, and then the third, of course, was just you know having that fire, feeling like I'm seeing images again and wanting to to frame things. So, hopped in the truck, started driving, and the first frame I made was of probably one of my favorite photos in the book was of a young man named Eric who has a damaged tattoo across his forehead. Mm -hmm. I made his portrait, and when I once I processed the image, I I just knew that I had found you know that I found love. Because I basically refer to a lot of like whenever I work on a long form project, I really feel like you need to. It's like much, very much like falling in love again, or Absolutely. falling in love. Um, because for me, it's like I can't put the time, energy, or effort, or passion into something, a project, if if I don't have that that degree of love for it. And so you, you when that when when it happens, I just hop on it and just with it and, and very much in the same way that people go through the honeymoon phase of when they first meet and fall in love you just want to be around that person and, and you can't get enough and that's kind of how I was when I started once I made that first frame I, I was I was in love and I just um, started going out as, as often as I could or essentially actually a lot of the book was photographed while running errands running my kids to music lessons or on the way to work or leaving work I'd have my camera on me ready to go and if, if I saw an image that spoke to me with no, I just hopped out and, and would photograph, you know, whether it was an, a building or a person or a place. And that's kind of where it all started. Wow. Well, I, yeah, that's so fun. I love so many of the points that you brought up and I have to circle back and say that that fire is punctum. That's why I call the, the podcast Got Punctum. And that's why I weave that into everything that we're talking about in my world, because I do think that there's a circular relationship with punctum, that the, the root meaning of that word is that it's the emotion that comes through an image, that it's wordless, that it's like an unspoken psalm. It's a something. And my premise is that it's a circular relationship. Just what you described as a maker is punctum. That love, that Ooh, I want to frame this. I, I see a picture. I want to make a picture. When you have that and then you start making imagery, the punctum passes and that's the loop. It, it goes from you to the image to the viewer. Yeah. So I think that's really, really cool. And I love that 
we'll talk about this, but your sequencing and your editing are, I'm very, really curious about that because I'm curious now how long you shot, when you knew it needed or wanted to be a book. And also you wove so many things together that I don't know how consciously you were of, of getting the things that you did because you weave portraits with landscapes, with a bird in a corner and a, a, a building. Um, so there's, and you've got seasons in there. So I am curious of how that part unfolded. Once you took Eric's portrait, that lit the match yeah. and then give us what else happened. How did, how did you end up like right now on screen? I have the image of inside a house. Oh, there's the wallpaper. That's the end yeah, paper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I mean. Every time yeah. I see it, I find something else. That's hilarious. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there's the wallpaper that actually is in a different tonality as the end paper in the book. That's a fabulous conceptual secret there or something, how you layer what you're putting together visually. That's awesome and very funny. Anyway, we're looking at this image in this house with wallpaper, a, a, a papered up window boxes and uh, there you go. Yeah, perfect. Yep, it's like tone on tone, it's very subtle. And this, this stash of American flags. So, so this is a bouncing off point just to say, how did you, how did you know what you wanted to shoot? How did it unpack in terms of all these different subject matters or genres? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm, that's a great question because I, and I'm, I'm grateful that you're, you recognize kind of when you dissected the, the, the way the book was shot and like what images were selected because as I mentioned earlier, earlier, when I went back to, you know, taking a, after I took it, got done from my two-year hiatus, a lot of that time I did spend thinking about what type of, having come up as a photojournalist, now obviously I was doing other work as well that was in different genres, but two years allowed me to kind of think about like, what direction did I want to go with photography? Like, how did I want to develop that, the craft? Did I want to re-entered doing this you know, similar type of work or did I want to want to test the waters and play with just being more leaning more towards I guess like a fine art documentary direction so I you know constantly was prior to doing black demos I was always looking at photo books and I was always been in love with photo books so I was looking at different work and, and studying different photography and during that process you know I would take notations on the different types of photography that was resonating with me that I normally wouldn't be interested in in the past or wouldn't have normally photographed in that particular style. And so I, as I was photographing the, and working on the book, you know, I, I clearly, I, it was a conscious decision to kind of say, well, I want to do portraiture and I want to do new topographic. I want to do street photography. I want to uh, do like, land, uh, sorry, like pictorial or landscape approach. And I wanted to figure out a way to to mesh all of those together into a cohesive narrative. So it was like, it was, it was, so essentially it was a little an exercise for myself, which is something mm. I've always done throughout my careers. I've, I would, even working as a photojournalist, I would try to challenge myself to figure out maybe not a new genre of how to approach something, but I would try to adopt some of those approaches and see how I could tell, visually tell a story in a 
in a different format or using light differently or using maybe just doing it all graphically driven or as the whole story essay is maybe just portraits or um, or what have you but this was the first time that i worked on something where i thought well how how can i approach this in a way that i can make kind of categorize everything in a certain style and then successfully edit them so that they they link together and build a, a larger body of work wow so well some, yeah so some days i would go out like for example i would have a list and some days well not a list i actually had like an instagram feed that was dedicated just to black diamonds and i would post on it daily and, mm -hmm. and i actually used it more as a um more as an editing tool to kind of be able to, because your phone's so accessible to you that I could pull that grid up and re, and look at it and reference like, okay, you've, you've got this portrait, you've got a landscape, you've got a topographic image, you, you've got a still life or what have you. I'm like, oh, what should you get today? And because I've always, always trying to keep a balance of the amount of what I was shooting. Or if I was just having a down day where I, I didn't have the energy level to work and do like a street, do a street portraiture, you know, which, requires you to approach people that you don't know if i just didn't have the energy level for that then i would you know like okay i'm going to skip that today and i'm just going to work on focusing on getting an interesting landscape or sense of place image or something along those lines something that didn't require as much energy so so yeah so that's kind of how i you wow. know, I would go through that grid on my instagram feed and just you know make look at my list and like okay today i want a younger a young young man tomorrow I want an elderly woman or whatever the case might be. Wow. Okay. That really helps and 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 is super interesting. I love how deliberate and intentional you were. And then you you know you were still like open and and experimental as well. I'll I'll share another slide to show just the the variety of what you were able to capture. I'm curious did you do street photography? Yes. Like strictly at a certain point? Is that the part with the skating? Did that um, intersect or not? Street photography for me was actually my first introduction. Street photography and portraiture were my first introduction to photography. I, I never intended to be a photographer. I actually ended up getting enrolled in a course because the other class I had, had signed up for was canceled. So when I did sign up for that class, the the initial work that I was shooting was street photography. Of course, I was new to photography, so I didn't really know that that was a, that there were genres and like things were defined and labeled as like this type of photography, that type. I would, I lived at the ocean, um, in Virginia Beach at the time and I lived a block back from the, from the ocean. So there's a lot of activity down there. So I would often just take my camera and go for a walk and take, do street photography. And then that would be mixed in with portraiture of people that I would meet on the street. So. So yeah, so I did do, I've, I've always dabbled with street photography here and there. And then I, I recently, as in like a few days ago, I, I was thinking about what I'd like to work on next. And um, in the back of my mind, I was like, I'd really like to do you know, a larger project on street photography. Uh, we'll see where that goes, we'll see when that happens. So it'll happen, but I just don't know when or how. <laughs> <laughs> yep, gotta sit on those ideas and let them unfold. I asked because I'm struck by the, image that we're looking at with the three younger people, the bike. I don't know whether you happened on it. I don't know if you engaged with them. What are you shooting with? Um, just a digital Nikon camera. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But so how did you engage this shot? I was, 
this is actually a block or half a block from where my son uh, was taking his music classes. They have like a really wonderful after school music program here in, in Nelsonville, Ohio. Um, and it's free to all the locals, which, so it's, it's just a really fantastic music program. So I, I, my son's still involved in it and I'd take him there and I had parked and I was just walking around. And I think I hopped back in my truck and went around just for a drive. And when I came back around, I saw these kids like on the corner of this um, pharmacy. That's actually the building is a, a, farm, a pharmacy. And it looked, it just struck me. So I like parked real quick and hopped out and I started talking with them and just kind of telling them what I was up to and what I was doing. Cause I was initially just going to do a, a portrait of them. And as we got to talking, the, the boy like leaned over to kiss his girlfriend. And I said, oh, well, there's my photo. And I just snapped the <laughs> frame and I was like, awesome. So um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that one really, really got me. I loved the frame of that. And I was really curious. In your portraiture, now we have a picture of a portrait where how much interaction do you have before you take a portrait? Like how are these, do you have a relationship with some of these people or are these all you exploring your community and meeting people? I would say that there's a very small percentage of portraiture here where I have to get back to it, but I think like maybe Two percent, I'm or one percent, I I knew the person. Like for example, the the image that this photo is compared is coupled with on the, in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the young the man you know who's upside down. Yes, that, that's actually a really close friend of mine. He he he's an Apple local, grew up, born and raised here. But um, I knew him, but you know we were out we were skating his ramp, and uh, he actually got injured in, in that photograph, and he was wait we were waiting for the ambulance to come and. You know, I felt slightly, I felt a little bad, but, you know, I, I was like, I had to make the photograph because the look on his face and stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, so uh, I, I made his, so I know that's Gary. Yeah. And he's just a really, you know, like I said, a really great friend of mine and, and one of my favorite people um, that I've, I've come to know here in, in, in Appalachia. But uh, so I knew him and there's a couple others, I believe. But the majority of the process is really, it's a street portraiture. I'm, I'm either walking or driving. A lot of times drive, I was driving just because the, the little cities that I photograph are not, well, they're not very, they're, they're all within maybe 40 minutes, 30 to 40 minutes of where I, where I live, but mm-hmm. they're not really walkable communities. Some of them are. And the ones that were, I would, um, I would drive and also park and just walk. Like in this one woman, for example, this is actually, in, in the building where my son attends the music classes and I was going to pick him up and I was parked and I was waiting for him to come out. And I had seen her before and I had wanted to photograph her uh, previously. I'd seen her before she had been standing out there smoking a cigarette like a month or two before. And I was like, ah, oh, I really wanted to photograph her. But it's just one of those things where you battle in your head, like, should I, should I not, should I? And then by the time you either get enough courage to go and, and you know approach the person, they're gone or the moment's gone. So. When she came out, when I saw her this time, I immediately like hopped out. I was like, no, it's not, you know, I'm not going to let it slide by again because I really just connected with, I just think she's a, got a beautiful face. And so I hopped out and just introduced myself. And I, and like with any, most of the people in the photograph in, in the book, I just told them what I'm doing and would it be okay if I made a portrait of them? And nine times out of 10, people, you know, are happy to work with me. And 
most of the portraits, they well, all the portraits last. The, the interaction could run from anywhere from like as little as I think three minutes to twenty minutes, forty minutes. It just depends on. And if the longer the longer ones are really not necessarily shooting, the the it'll just be spent like talking and sharing story, and then hearing more more so hopefully hearing their story about how their connection to the land or their connection to the region. Um, that's that's what I enjoyed the most, but because of time constraints and, and for one, you're you're approaching someone on the street that might be on the way to to actually get something done for the day. So I really try to be conscientious of that. And sometimes I am guilty of taking more time than I probably should. But but I I just get really excited and and it's hard for me to like shut down and get the campfire and go. So yeah, they, they, you know, most of the people I didn't know, I have run into some of them after the fact and you know, I can say hello and stuff like that. But generally speaking, it's a, it's a very short interaction because again, like I did shoot much of the book literally on while running errands around mm -hmm. town. Like when I, maybe I'd have an hour free and I'd, I'd go out and shoot and, or 10 minutes literally, or sometimes I'd have 30 minutes of just, that's how it transpired. Well, I'm struck because in several of the portraits, the look in the eye of the subjects is profound. It's very, like this one is, it's a stunning portrait. And I'm not even sure what she's trying to tell me or any other viewer, but she's so in her own wisdom. It's just beautiful. So that's why I was like, that relationship that you established for this level of intimacy to happen it's it's i can feel it through many many portraits so I this one he's that's actually my neighbor he lives like i think that's maybe a five minute drive from my house and this is someone who is homesteading yeah, I mean, his story is kind of interesting. That little trailer that he, he lived, was living in there at the time, mm -hmm. I had seen it for years, driven by it so many times and never saw anyone outside, never saw anyone around it. And I was, I remember this particular day, I was, like I said, he lives five minutes from my house. So I was on the last loop of my, of my time out driving around. And I said, well, let me go the long way home and I'll go past that little trailer and just maybe something I'll, I'll see something or whatever and as I was driving by I saw him out standing outside and I, and I just like freaked out I was like I couldn't believe there was somebody there and like and I and he waved at me which is pretty common in the back roads most people when they're driving or driving by them or their cars passing they'll, they'll, they'll wave so when he waved I said oh it's on so I like pulled over as quick as I could in fact I think I lost my keys because I just was <laughs> I was just too involved and got out and talked to him and introduced myself and he yeah he and found out that you know he was living there and that he um, was living there with his with his wife and that he worked you know at this local the note local paper I think doing something in the in the back end and then he told me a story about how he used to walk to town to work at Taco Bell and, and it's quite a walk I mean it's a 15 minute drive and so 15 minutes you know with walk through the holler where we live into town, quite a commitment. So, but yeah, he had a really cool story and, and was like super friendly and open and just willing to you know take part. And 
And back to that other photo, it's to me, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people I approach the photograph, you know, super friendly and like jolly. Um, but then it's, it was what was fascinating to me as soon as I turned the camera on them, it's they they just I don't know they turned they flipped the switch and they offered something else like they mm. gave they were giving a different message and almost performance and to some level and I thought that was fascinating because they would go from full smile and then as soon as they were, I would say okay you know give them some direction to where I wanted to place them in the photograph and they completely would um, change their their persona and the energy they were giving off and I was, and I found that really compelling. Mm -hmm. That is really compelling. It's like their affect. Mm -hmm. And I, it's interesting. You think of it as performance. You know, I don't know. It makes me as an outsider wonder if there is a protective layer. Um, when you mentioned that, you know, this neighbor waved, Allison refers to that in her essay and, and her son said to her mom, why are you waving to everybody? And she said, because you never know who you're going to need or who's going to need you. And it's yeah. this like insider. I think she qualifies that 25 years is when you get close to not being a, <laughs> an, a, outsider. an outsider. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think you've answered this question if you're accepted in this community and yeah. are you safe? N yes, for sure. I, I think that you know, there were there was a some incident incidents here and there where that were uncomfortable for me, but I didn't highlight them all that often. And mainly because growing up as a person of color in general, like there's no, there's nowhere I've ever lived, whether other than probably abroad, but anywhere I've lived in the States and I've moved quite a bit, even as a child, because my dad was in the military, immigrated here from, from the Philippines. And um, so we were always moving from place to place with him. And then as an adult, I, I picked up and continued moving every few years, even, and then got into photojournalism, photojournalism and was moving every two to three years as well. So no matter where I live, whether it was the South, East, Southwest, West Coast, whatever, you know, as a person of color that you, that's kind of just the norm. It's a question that you're kind of always asking. I think in the same way that a woman, you know, um, how a woman's behavior is different, has to be different to protect herself when she's, you know, maybe walking back to her car or getting off of work late, or they're just habits that women ha unfortunately have to, to take because of the mm -hmm. society we live in, in the same way that a person of color just has just normal life is, these are the types of questions that you, you take in consideration when you're out and about, especially as a photographer in an unknown community. But, Yes, that question, you know, clearly, you know, having spent time on the back roads and getting intentionally lost in places where you're like, um, if I break down, I don't even think I can tell anyone where I'm at. <laughs> so uh, I definitely, you know, I feel much safer and uh, connected to my community and the surrounding communities and have surprisingly, you know, met some people who um, broke stereotypes just, just by our conversations that, that we shared with, with one another, stereotypes that I myself apply to people in the region, or may not maybe not a general swooping stereotype, but maybe that person came up to me and I initially, you know, 
kind of assessed like, oh, this person is probably going to respond this way or that way. But after we spoke and stuff, you know, completely flipped the, the, the story and, and made me realize, oh, okay, like I'm, I'm misreading this person as well. And just as guilty of maybe placing a, a label or, or, you know, expectation of what the, this particular person is going to respond to me. So, so that's been, that was a pleasant learning experience as well. Yeah. I'm going to go through um, a few more images. Was this happenstance finding this young woman in pink shorts with pink hair? <laughs> yeah, with a little pink label on the door and a little pink rose in the corner too. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That, that oh, was, I see <laughs> it now. I see the rose. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, that was, I was on the way home from, from work. I saw her walking down the street and there's another one of those times where it's like, oh man, I really need to photograph her. I don't, and the road that I turned onto was like really tight and I drive a truck. So it was kind of, it would be difficult for me to turn around, but I was like, I have to. So it's like, okay, I really want to get home, but I just can't pass this up. So I turned around and parked and you obviously have to be kind of, have to need to be somewhat have some tact because I'm in a black truck with tinted windows and I'm pulling over and hopping out and approaching a you know, young woman and saying, hey, can I photograph you? I'm a photographer. No, really. But she, she was <laughs> really graceful and, and um, totally got, got it and knew what I was trying to do and, and was excited and, and you know, was like, hey, how about right here? And she said, sure. So just placed her and composed her and made her picture. Wow. And do, is there any um, exhibiting? Like where did this work or project start to grow into a book? And was there consideration of exhibition? I don't know if you engage people that are in the book. What about those things? So I think it's a couple, two or three months into Maybe two, yeah, two or three months into into working on this, maybe maybe longer than that. I can't quite remember, but it started to get some traction. And then I think Washington Post, reach, um, an editor from Washington Post, reached out to me and had wanted to, you know, do a piece, do a story on it, on the work. And, and I was a little reluctant because it was so early in the process, and I just didn't feel like it was quite ready to be shared. But as we talked, I had a, had a longer conversation about it and. And I shared with him like what I, I didn't want it to be focused on or, or you know, I didn't want it to be misrepresented. He was flexible and open to kind of getting, hearing more about like what the intent was. And after that conversation, I said, okay, well, that's, you know, I'm comfortable with working with you. So let's go ahead and run it. And then I think maybe a month or so after that feature shoot highlighted the work like on their website. So then at that, you know, Couple things like it, that, and then I actually shared some of the work with a, a, a former coworker of mine from the paper I was working at in Virginia. Because um, I was really didn't wasn't having changed my approach aesthetically, and and as we mentioned before, you know, I had this idea of like mixing different genres of photography into one narrative. I wasn't, and having not had done that before, I, I wasn't confident in in my work and. Um, and not so much I wasn't confident in it. I just wasn't, I don't know. I mean, I just wasn't sure like how people would receive it. I, I felt like something was there, but I wasn't sure because it wasn't something like anything I had done before. And my 
former coworker, you know, really responded positively. And then, you know, the Washington Post picked it up and the feature shoot picked it up. So I said, okay, well, if something's happening, maybe I'm on the right track. And so at that point I thought, well, you know, maybe this, oh, and then my, my close friend, Matt Eich, um, I was, cause I only shared the work with him, a close friend here, Ty Wright and my wife and, and my coworker. Those are four people that I had shared the work with and everybody was, they were responding to it really well. And then Matt and I were talking one night and, you know, what do you want to do with this? What's your, what's your game plan? And I said, well, it's like, I think it could be a book project potentially. Cause I had always wanted, I had done books before they were self-published and very small, small limited runs, but never had pursued working with a, a publisher. And, um, and Matt had done multiple books prior, prior to this one. So I thought, you know, I said, okay, well, you know, you feel that way. I kind of think that way too, but let's let me keep playing with it. And as I built, started building more and more work and getting a lot of and sharing it publicly, then at that point I felt like I, my confidence was starting to grow, and and I felt like I was onto something. So I kept working on it, and um, probably towards the can't remember exactly. Well, I worked on it for like a year, and then I I, I believe I. I pitched it, I like put together a maquette and, you know, and a kind of pitch and started shopping it around to different mm -hmm. publishers. But as far as exhibitions go, um, no, I haven't, haven't done any. In fact, I've never done an exhibition in my life. I've had a few pieces exhibited in different group shows um, just by default. It wasn't something that I pursued. It was just that, you know, maybe a, a photo might've been recognized in a competition or something. And then it, by default, it was, part of a group show, but I never, oh, that's not true. I did enter one exhibition on, on, with, with, on purpose, but that was recently. <laughs> um, so, uh, but I don't really have big plans for exhibitions right now. During the whole process of making this book, um, so I shot it from 20, I think I shot it all of 2018 and then 2019, you know, was a long year of editing, sequencing, putting my kit together doing research on different publishers, figuring out wh who I thought would be a good fit to try and collaborate with on the book. Um, and just all the, the back-end work that goes into putting out a book with a publisher. Um, so that took a big chunk of 2019. But then, and in fact, I was in Atlanta working with Fallline the week that of 20, 2020 when COVID kind of hit the US. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in fact, as I was driving back from Atlanta, um, my wife had called and just said, hey, you know, COVID's here. It's, everything's shutting down here in Athens. We need to get back so we can get some groceries and get things in order. Because, you know, at that time, we didn't really know what to anticipate. Mm -hmm. so, um, mm -hmm. so as that was unfolding, the thought of even trying to book an exhibition or, or promote the work through an exhibition just didn't make sense because I didn't want to put in all this time and work for a show that nobody would have opportunity mm -hmm. to see. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think the book was released. Uh, so 2020 was another year of production, and then 2021 the book was um, was released in July. So uh, yeah, so as of right now, no plans, real plans for exhibition. And I have another book I'm working with on right now that hopefully will come out in the fall, or well, we're aiming for July or August. But you know, with with supply and paper supplies and things like that, we'll see where that lands. But so my, my energy and resources are kind mm -hmm. of spread. And then I have a third book too that I am cl close to being done shooting as well. So that one hopefully will come out in 
2023 or 2024, depending on um, what route and direction I, I choose to go with that. Couple of questions. Are you working with publishers? Is uh, When you mentioned Matt, you're, you, mm -hmm. you're talking Matt Eck. Right. Yeah. Right, smart Eich, Eich. Yeah. Eich. Is that? I, sorry, I never pronounced okay. that correctly. That's okay. Yeah. He is someone who we um, interviewed uh, way back in the yeah. beginnings of the photo book book group. And I can see a sensibility. It's kind of something I would refer to as almost, it's, it's funny because you talk about how you made your portraits and used different snippets of time that could be five minutes to 20 or whatever. But both you and Matt have an ability to give us this experience of a slow photograph, at least in my opinion. And, um, and, and I loved the other thing from your book that I really noticed was the, the palette. It was just, it was just incredibly um, concise. Uh, it's you. not that you didn't have brights because you did, but there is just lyrical. Um, I want to um, be conscious of, of time and moving through. Sure. We have a few more in, um, images, but this one I learned because um, I didn't know what I was originally looking at. Mm -hmm. So this is actually a medical procedure. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and, it's an x-ray for, for um, black lung disease. So how did you get in this room? <laughs> Oh, I got lucky. Um, <laughs> this is also credited to my wife. My wife is like my hero. Um, basically, I was coming home from work again, and I was on the highway, and I was about, I was, I got a call, and my wife was like, hey, there's a, there's a mobile clinic doing black lung screening at the Walmart parking lot. You should, you should go down there. Maybe you can get a photo for your book. Mm. And I was like, oh, man. It's like, hmm, I can't not try. I was like, but my, my, my felt like, you know, the odds of being allowed into a medical procedure, mm -hmm. like doing medical procedures would, I, I thought I'd be shut down like and laughed at, like, no, it doesn't work that way. Um, but I got there and um, pulled in the parking lot and hopped out and, and went in and introduced myself to the director. And, um, and they were like, sure, of course you can. <laughs> And I was like, really? <laughs> and so, and they're like, well, we just had an appointment with this gentleman, but um, we do have one or two other people that are, are scheduled to come. Um, so if you want to wait, and I said, yeah, I'll definitely wait. And, I, and, and I'll respect their privacy. I'll ask permission before they even come into the mobile clinic and, and explain to them what I'm doing. And I said, and if, you know, if they're not comfortable with that, then I'm not, uh, I'll just thank them and, and wait for the next person. And um, I sat out there for a little while because I think, maybe an hour or so waiting for the next guy to show up. But um, this gentleman came and he got out of his truck and I immediately hopped out of mine and went over and talked to him and said, hey, how's it going? He goes, and he immediately was like, oh, what, you know, what mining, what mine are you with? You know, and I said, no, sir, I, I didn't work the mines. But, uh, and then I told him, you know, why I was there and, and he said, oh yeah, sure, that's fine, come on in. And just went in the mobile clinic and he just, just went did his thing and they had doctors did their thing and you did your do, thing which yeah, yeah. <laughs> is kind of amazing and also the thing I'd like to tie in is that the coloration of this image really mirrors the cover and yes. the end paper and that that idea of um you know gray black red being predominant and um and then you know 
not knowing uh, of the the specifics of black lung screening originally of course this had a, a religious connotation because of this yeah. big cross um, across the back um, I was curious about I'm gonna go through just a few more images to give people on the zoom a, a, an experience of the the, the expanse that you covered, um, as I had mentioned before, seasonally and uh, doing landscape, sense of place, photography that's like a street photography and portraiture. Um, a lot of, of uh, thinking quickly. I love them because frankly, you've mastered this. You are thinking quickly in certain situations and you're really sitting on ideas in others. And that's so important. Those are both necessary skill sets and, and discerning what to do. Like, I appreciate your first time someone asking if the work was ready to come out, you questioning that because that's often uh, problematic that, that, that some projects and work needs time. Um, it needs to cook. You know, I, I, I think that that's a very fine line and hard because you do want feedback, you do want amplification, yeah. but um, I appreciate how you held, held it to you felt ready. And I want to ask you to tell us about this photograph and then I'm just gonna quote Allison, but okay. uh, as we wrap, but I don't know a lot about this photograph of all these people who are looking to the same direction, putting hats over their heart. There's a there's an allegiance here. There's an honoring. I'm not sure to what. And of course, they're on a pile of dirt. So I don't I don't know what we're looking at. Um, oh man, you're gonna make me give away all my secrets to the ambiguous photo, but <laughs> uh, which I kind of like because like in photojournalism, you always have to explain like why, what, who, when, how. But in this, in this particular case, I was actually at a, um, a derby, like a mm -hmm. basically where they get the cars and they smash them all up. And this is prior to the start of the derby. And um, before the demolition derby began, like they all climbed up on top of this mound. Well, this group of people did. Um, and it was right before the Pledge of Allegiance was, mm -hmm. was, or during the Pledge of Allegiance. And obviously, you know, the seeing all these boys and men up there and then this one female and, and I just thought that was kind of striking and, and, and interesting little you know, dash of you know, uniqueness. So, mm -hmm. and I actually, you know, it wasn't originally gonna be in the book, but actually um, I think it was, I don't know if it was Bill or, um, because Bill, Bill um, Bowling and then Clay Maxwell Jordan were the ones who were helping me with the final sequence. Both of them were with Balline. And um, as we were getting towards the end of the book, um, I, think, I think it was Bill's suggestion, maybe Clay's, either one of those two. And they thought, you know, well, hey, this would be, I really love this photograph. And, and I think it's a really great way because as you get towards the end of the book where all the copy and, and historical photos are, it's, it's, it is like a psalm and, and it's kind of like a, and these people falling in that section of the book kind of gives kind of like a, a maybe a spiritual or a, some type of grace or, or honor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, was yeah. nice, it was nice to have put that into the end of the book. Absolutely. I, I think that it sounds like you all made such a great team in terms of these decisions. 
Um, there was a quote that I just wanted to share from um, uh, um, Allison because she so set up what we think of Appalachia and then what she really experiences. And it sounds like you've had some of the same level of um, enlightenment <clears throat> or <clears throat> your experience um, changing some preconceived notions. So she writes about Appalachia again, it struggles with addiction, isolation and poverty misrepresented as cards we threw down on purpose. That's what I mentioned at the beginning. The poorest county in the state where the streams run red with acid damage from coal mines and the children run wild and strong. The default of Appalachia is we are only as strong as our weakest neighbor. Those who have the least give the most. And I love this. She said, you never know when a stranger might hurt you is something I learned from my time living in cities. You never know when a stranger might help you is something I learned from the hills. And she wrote this part. How do you know what you're made of until you made it in a place the rest of the world would like to forget much of the time? or to assign a male white face to it, a face which doesn't represent Appalachia at all, a wide and complicated region with people of color, queer people, women, people with disabilities, young people, progressive people. And I love that she concluded in her essay, what does she need? She needs the wild world, helping and love. And what she said about your book and your work was look closely at the images here, the lives, the struggle, and the great, great love. And listen, this is your gift. Beautiful. Yeah, so amazing job. <laughs> yeah, well, all of you together, it was quite the, the consort. Mm -hmm.